0: Good morning. How are you? You feeling great today? Hey, I'm happy this morning. My baby's here today. I don't know where he went. Probably do some work in my office. Got to get him started young. I'm I'm so happy to be here. My wife is here as well for the first time in a few weeks. I'm so glad that she's here this morning. Oh man, it's been such a, a crazy ride for the past few weeks. Pretty crazy. Baby's already two weeks old. He's been doing so good, growing in a, on, at a great rate, gaining some pounds on him. So I'm just so blessed to be able to, to be a father. And um, just gives me a fire to be here all the time now and, and to, to minister to you. You know, it's funny because I'm not your father, but in the spiritual realm, we have what we call spiritual fathers and people that we look to to guide us spiritually, to keep us on course spiritually. And I have a couple of spiritual fathers and um, they, they help me understand certain things that I might not see when I'm studying the scriptures. And um, it's important to find a spiritual father because they'll take you under, your wing, uh, under their wing and they'll protect you and help you understand certain things from the word of God and so although I'm not your father I can be a spiritual father and even if I'm young it doesn't matter the Bible says with Paul and Timothy Paul told Timothy don't let them despise your youth don't let them despise he didn't tell Timothy to tell the people don't despise me because I'm young he said you don't let them despise your youth you don't let it bother you I don't know how young Timothy was, maybe early 40s. I guess that was young in the Bible. It is young, praise God. Hey, when I'm 40, I'm going to say that's young. But don't let, don't let age keep you from experiencing what God has for you. you some people might have the, the tendency to look at someone who's younger. And I don't know why I'm saying this this morning. I feel the Lord just put it on my heart. That when people look at someone who's younger, they, have, they immediately shut off whatever they can learn from them because they think that they can't learn because they're, they're, they're younger than them. Well, who is this person to teach me something? I'm I've been in ministry longer than them. But don't fall for that trap, church. Don't fall for that trap. Because I've met a lot of old people who don't know what the heck the Bible talking about. <laughs> and they've been in the church for a long time. And I met some young people my age, younger, who know so much, so much, and I learn from them all the time. So don't let age keep you from learning something new. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hey, before we get started today, we have a couple of things. Number one... Um, We have a a book that I wrote called is God out to get me that one's free for all of our first time guests whether you're watching online or you're here in person We'd love to give that to you. I believe it'll bless you Also, we have another book entitled the power of purity both books. I wrote Uh, the power of purity is a great book It is available today. If you want to pick one up at the end of service Um, It just teaches people how to see God more clearly Why do I write books? because they're tools They're tools To help you as you're studying this. Now I'll never encourage someone to pick up my book before they pick this up. If they pick up a book before they pick up the Bible, it'll it'll do them no good. They need to pick up this first because the book's just the tool. This is the real deal. This is the real deal. The book's a study guide. It's to help you see what the Scripture is trying to say in in a different light, but this is the real thing. So if you haven't picked up my book, First and foremost, pick up the Bible, and then pick up my book, amen? I believe it'll help you. We're, we're going to be in a series for the next few weeks as well um, from my book called The Power of Purity. And we've been in it for, for quite some time now. And we've been dealing with the mind, the mind. And we're going to stay in here for, for a few more weeks. Is that all right? Because I believe the mind is the most powerful part of the natural body that the mind is the most powerful tool on the earth. The Bible says in Genesis that these people were building this tower called Babel. And they, were, they had their mind set to building this tower so tall that it reached the heavens. And when, it the, and when God saw it, the scripture says he looked down and he says, look, nothing will be restrained from them to which they, which they imagined themselves to do. Nothing will be restrained from them. that what they set their mind to do. And the Bible says that, in a way, God was threatened by mankind. The power of their mind, that they were all in unity to build this tower, threatened God so much to the point where he had to come down and change the way they talked. He had to mix up their language, so that they could not understand each other to build this tower. That just goes to show how powerful our mind is when we're using it the right way, but also when we're using it the wrong way. See, there's no neutrality in life. There's either death or there's life, but there's, not, there's no middle ground. And when you're not using your mind correctly, it's either gonna produce death or when you're using it correctly, it'll produce life. Even when you take this out of, out of Christianity, you can look at the world. You can see all the people who've been successful, all the billionaires and the millionaires who've done great stuff and created multi-billion dollar companies and made the airplane to fly around the world. All those people had one thing in common. They had a powerful mind. They set their mind to do something and they did it. Regardless if it was for the glory of God or if it was for the glory of man, the point is the mind is so powerful it can do anything that you set your mind to do. That's scary, but it's also very humbling to know that God gave you that mind. He gave you that mind that's capable of doing so many good things. That's how good he is. You know, we're gonna get into, I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself, but we're gonna stay in in the mind part for a little longer. Um, because the scripture says, Matthew 5.8, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, th- again, this doesn't talk about once you're pure in heart, once you have a pure heart, then God appears. No, no one has seen God. No one can see God. He is so powerful and so mighty and glorious that if you looked at him, you'd just die. That's how powerful he is. Not because he'd kill you. Not because he he says, oh, now that you've seen me, I have to kill you. That's that's not our God. But he's so powerful that just looking at him would kill you. That's how powerful he is. It's like the sun. If you look at the sun for too long, you'll go blind. It's not because the sun is going to blind you. It's because it's so bright and magnificent that it'll damage your physical body if you look at it for too long. But God, he is so powerful, so magnificent, that if you even look at him, you would die. So it's not talking about him just appearing to you and and showing you all of his glory. Um, And it's also not saying that you'll drop dead and go to heaven and see God either. It's not what it's talking about. What what it's talking about is it's learning how to see God in day-to-day things. Learning how to see him orchestrate certain things in your life. There's a lot of things, a lot of people that I've recently been connected to because of God's orchestration. He's divinely connected me to people of great influence in the body of Christ because of of his doing, not because of anything I can do. And, And if I don't look at it as God doing it and I look at it as me doing it, I would fall short every single time because I'm not, I'm not anyone of influence. I'm not someone who has authority to say, I want to meet so-and-so and it's going to happen because I'm Matthew. No, that's not how it works. It's God who's divinely putting people into my life to meet another person, to meet another person, and another person. There's people who are in your life today, the divine connections that only God could have placed in your life. And, it, and seeing God is learning how to see Him doing those things in your life. You see, God, he, he finished all the work on the cross. He finished all the work concerning your healing, concerning your deliverance, concerning your prospering, your prosperity. He's done all the work in that sense, but there are still things He's doing to orchestrate you to the right path. He's still taking care of you, church. He's not just sitting up in heaven with his arms crossed, legs up on his recliner, watching football. He's, he's divinely directing our steps. He's with us every every single step of the way. You know, it's like when you go in your car and you, and you put in your GPS a destination. Well, the, des- the GPS has already mapped out the destination. The work is done. But it's still directing you on where to go. And when we're not acknowledging God in our life, and we're not seeing Him clearly in those, li- in, in those little moments of life, then we'll miss Him, and then later down the road, we get frustrated saying, where's God? Why isn't God speaking in my life? Why isn't God moving in my life? You know, people, when they say, we need a move of God, they're the people who don't see God clearly. There's a, a revival happening in, in a place, I believe Kentucky. And it's interesting, I don't have an opinion about it, but what what the Lord just keeps reminding me of is, he, He keeps asking me this, why now? How come all of a sudden there's revival? Don't you know you can have it any day you want? Now I'm not just diminishing what's happening, there's great stuff happening over there, great things. and. There's been great revivals, Sousa Street Revival that happened years ago, and many other revivals led by great ministers like Smith Wigglesworth, You probably don't know who who his name is, but look him up, he did great things. Um, Other great people of God who who did awesome things, who helped people see God in a new light causing revival. You see, that's what happens when revival starts. People are looking, they're searching, they're acknowledging him like never before, and so when revival happens, it's just them acknowledging God. It's not God sending revival. He didn't send it. God's not up there going, okay, now, now I'm going to make you guys on fire for me. No. It's us acknowledging him. That's when revival starts. But you don't need to wait for, for a college campus to start a revival you can have revival in your living room. You don't need to wait for that. But it all stems from seeing God more clearly. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I believe one of my spiritual fathers' name is Andrew. He believes right now we are living in the third great awakening. I believe that as well. It's not coming. It's here right now. And there's proof of all that happening. There's people who you never would've thought would acknowledge God that are acknowledging Him today. There are people who are so desperate right now for for some sort of life that the world can't offer. So they're searching God like never before. They're searching for Him like never before. They're desperate to find the Lord. And I believe we're, we're living in those days. I mean, the government's trying to kill babies. Every single time, That it's mentioned in the Bible that babies were murdered. God always sent a savior. Every time. You look at it with with the Egyptians. Murdering babies. Who did God send? Moses. A savior. You look at King Herod. Trying to kill babies. Heard that Jesus was, was coming. Jesus was here. The savior of the world. Every time the world tries to kill babies, God sends a savior. And there's, the, end, the end of the world's coming. God's coming soon. He is coming soon. And that's why we do these things here. That's why we're here at church every Sunday because we don't have time to mess around. We don't have time to be lazy and to, I'm sorry, stay in bed because you're tired and watch online. We don't have time for that. We don't, we don't have online so you can just stay home. We have online just in case you're not in town and for people to, to, who aren't living here to tune in. But that's not what it's for. It's not for you to sit here and, and sit at home and, and watch it online because you're tired. That's not what it's for. We don't have time to do that. We need to be with each other together. Yes. Anyone ever disassembled a gun before? If you take a gun apart, I wish I had a gun right now, because I would, I would do it. And I would disassemble the gun and I would hold up the parts in front of you and would any of you feel threatened? But what happens when I start putting the gun back together and now I have the gun and I'm waving it around? Now what? You get a little nervous. What happened? The gun was assembled. When the body of Christ is watching church online in their living room, and one's over here at the beach, and one's over there not watching, and and we're all not assembled, is there power? No. But what happens when we all come assembled? There's power. There's a threat, a threat against the devil now. Amen? So we don't got time to, to, to mess around anymore. The Lord's coming soon, and we need to be able to see him clearly. When you see him clearly in your life, you're not, you're not gonna be surprised with all the things happening in the world. Man, this past month, thousands of people died in, in, over in the Middle East. Oh man, but you know what? When I heard the news, I wasn't shocked. I don't sound, try to sound heartless or, or mean, but when I heard that earthquakes this way and earthquakes that way and, and this many dead and, and this many pe- buildings collapse and blah, 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 I'm not surprised. I'm not sitting here going, oh my goodness, how could this be? I know it's coming. The end's coming. And when you can see God clearly in life, in day-to-day life, in His Word, through current events you won't be surprised by certain things that'll keep you calm and not worried in proverbs chapter 23 the scripture says for as he thinks in his heart so is he your life is going in the direction of your most dominant thought if you guys weren't here for my good friend, Dustin Barker, he preached an excellent message regarding this. Who was here for that? Let me see your hands. Oh man, that was a great message that he preached regarding the power of your words but that stem into your, from your mind. And that when you believe something, you're going to say it. And when you say it, it's going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to make you believe it. And it just repeats the cycle over and over again. As you think in your heart, so will you be. So how is, what's your dominant thought looking like right now? Are, are you set up in a way to where you always think you have bad luck? Because if you do, you'll have bad luck. Are you thinking all the time, I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over this loss. I, Whatever it is, if you're thinking that about yourself, you won't be able to get over it. If you sit here thinking, man, I've been dealing with this for so long, there's no way I'm going to be healed from this. You won't. I was talking to one of our church members earlier this week. He's been dealing with something for, he said, three years now. And I told him, I said, how is your heart with all of this? And I said, because the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. What does that mean? means when you're believing for something for so long and you don't see it coming, it begins to to sicken your heart. Or in other words, it gets you depressed. It gets you discouraged. It gets you thinking, there's no way I'm going to see an end to this. It hardens your heart to receive what you're believing for. Your hope deferred, meaning put off, will make your heart sick. It'll make you discouraged. So I ask him, how is your heart? Protect that heart. Because it's been three years, and I can guarantee you, on day three, the devil said it's not going to happen. And we're three years into this. What is your heart feeling like? Protect that heart. Amen? As you think in your heart, so will you be. You know, in 2020, Stephanie and I, we, we went through a pretty hard time in, in our life. Certain family events were taking place, and um, it was a difficult time for a lot of people and I just remember um, I think I, the Lord helped me get through it, number one, because he, he warned me about certain things and I expressed to, to my wife about them, and, and I kind of knew what was going to happen and so I knew and I, I would see all the events unfold and it hurt, me. it hurt my heart, but I was ready for it. I knew the Lord warned me for, for what was going to happen But during that time, it was a long time. It started at the beginning of 2020, and it kind of stretched all the way through that year. Then COVID-19 came in March, and and all this crazy stuff started happening. And we had an opportunity to let ourselves be hurt by what was going on, or to continue living in joy. You know, I, I often say that salvation is attached to healing that your, the forgiveness of sins is attached to the deliverance of, of, of sickness because it is the Bible talks about it <clears throat> but I also believe just like how that's tied together life comes with hardship amen yeah. Did anyone believe that? Yeah. life comes with hardship you cannot live your life free from hardship it's gonna come I'm not prophesying that over you I'm just telling you the truth if you haven't experienced hardship, great, but be careful because the enemy is going to look for an opportunity to get you down. So don't let him. Amen. But we went through a hardship and it was, it was difficult. It was um, hard to navigate, but we still had joy and peace in the midst of it. And it affected a lot of people. We weren't the only ones affected by it. But we, were, we had to make a choice, just like everyone else has a choice, to let it hurt us, let it put us on the wayside, or we can still have joy and we can still have peace in the midst of that. And you know what caused us to have joy and peace? God's Word. Amen. We put our noses in this book, man, we had, the, we had the Word preaching to us every day. We had our TV on, and, and every time the TV was on, the Word was preaching. And um, we just didn't have time to listen to to the garbage or to listen to anything that we didn't want to listen to it's called selective hearing and it's 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 just incredible what the what the Word of God can do when you're going through a hardship when you're going through something crazy the Lord the, the Word will keep you in joy and it'll keep you in peace it's not that we're ignoring the hardship it's not that we're in denial saying oh it's not happening that this isn't real, what we're doing is we're magnifying God's word over the hardship. There's a scripture in Romans that talks about these progressive steps of of becoming someone who wants nothing to do with God. It's called having a reprobate mind, having no no thought of God, your conscience is seared, you have no more remorse for sin, you don't even care anymore, you're, you're gone. And there's this progressive list of steps that get you to that place. And one of the steps is is having God in your life, but not acknowledging him. Having the Lord working in your life, but not acknowledging that work as God. And that's one of the steps is not acknowledging God. So if those are progressive steps to go towards a life without God, what are the things we can do that we can reverse to have our life full of God? Acknowledge him. Magnify him. And when you're magnifying your problem, it's like a, a seesaw. Anyone ever been on a seesaw before? Well, what happens when, when you have something heavy on one side and something light on the other side? What is it going to do? It's going to... So when you're magnifying your problems, when you're magnifying all the stuff that's going on, it's as if you're esteeming and you're, you're, you're lowering God in your life. You're, you're, you're bringing God down and you're bringing your problems to a higher place where they should not go, a place they don't belong. But when you magnify God, the problems are still here you're just seeing God in a better light, you're focusing on Him better and in your mind you're making God bigger than the circumstance. The truth is God doesn't grow. God's as big as big can get. So when you focus on Him, you're not making Him bigger. I mean, He's he's as big as big can get. But you're making Him bigger in your perspective. It's like getting a magnifying glass. You're not actually making anything bigger when you put the magnifying glass over the object. But in your perspective, you are. So when you focus on God, you're magnifying him. You're making him bigger in your life and you're you're causing your problems and the hardship to seem smaller. That's why Paul said that we have a light affliction and it's but for a moment, a light affliction. This is Paul the apostle who was shipwrecked, who was beaten, who was left for dead, who was falsely imprisoned. Who was rightfully imprisoned all these things and he says it's a light affliction I can guarantee you that you will never ever face what Paul the Apostle faced Thank you, Lord. and if he can consider his problems a light affliction so can you Amen. but it comes when you focus on God and you disesteem your problem when you magnify him and you lower everything else. Amen? You're not denying anything. You're not living in denial. You're focusing on something better. And that's what people think we're doing. They think we're in denial. They think we're just denying reality. No. I acknowledge my reality, and I say there's something better. I acknowledge that this world is horrible, but we don't have to be of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We have another citizenship up in heaven. And that citizenship in heaven is so much more glorious than here. I'm not denying nothing. I'm acknowledging something greater. Thank you, Lord. You have to esteem God and disesteem your problem. And that takes place in your heart, in your soul in your mind what sometimes people will do is they'll believe that God's operating with the devil you see this stage right here well what if these curtains were like right here right and then we have a backstage what people think God does is here's the devil and here's God and they're they're in act one together and they're orchestrating all these things in your life and then all of a sudden when things hit the fan, God goes behind the curtain and fixes all the problem. So they think God's in the problem and then they think he fixes the problem. See, right there is where a lot of people find a a big, big problem in their life. It's called double-mindedness. Why on earth would God make you sick if he's just gonna heal you later? That's that's schizophrenic. Why would God put a curse on you just to bless you later on? Parents, why would you break your child's arm so they can learn a lesson? I'll call CPS on you. (laughs) But that's what people think God does. They think God is this abusive parent and will, will hurt you to teach you. Hmm. See, the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you the truth. God did put sickness on people. But if you can find me one spot in the New Testament, I'll never preach this again. But guess what? I fucked. And I know. There's one scripture where people will try to say God put a sickness on him in the New Testament, but they're forgetting that Jesus didn't die on the cross yet, so it's still the Old Testament. See, Jesus, when the, the, the moment he said, it is finished, that's when the Old Testament ended. Even if Mar- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John says New Testament on it, it's still the Old Testament until Jesus said, it is finished. That's when the Old Testament is is, is finished, and the New Testament begins. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. See, this is Christianity 101. See, I don't know all, I don't know everything. If you ask me a question tomorrow, I'd probably say, I don't know. I have to look it up. But I do know the basics. I do know Faith 101. I know God 101. I better know God. He's my father. He's my dad. I better know my father's character. But many Christians don't. They're fatherless. They don't know their daddy. They've heard of him. He is God our father, not the Godfather. It's not some sort of mafia where If you don't pray to me, I'll I'll hurt you. If you don't give, I'll cause you to be poor. No, he's a good God. He loves you. One of the biggest things that I find most Christians dealing with is double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. So the best way you can hear wisdom, remember we talked about wisdom last week? How to hear wisdom. Wisdom's crying aloud in the streets. She raises her voice in the marketplace. Asking what? How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? In other words, how long will you be open-minded to things? How long will you keep your mind open to receive from anything and anyone? One time I was getting hired or I was getting um, interviewed for a pastor's job. You know, one of the things that I hate about living here is that this place is so small that if you say something, everyone's going to know who it's from. So I'm I'm just going to keep this as as blunt as possible without any details. But I was being interviewed for a position to pastor. And they started asking me some questions. The entire interview was fantastic. Ask my wife. I left that interview going, I nailed it. I got the job. Because I thought I had the job in the bag. And so we were in the interview. The whole entire interview went great. And then the, the lead pastor started asking me, some questions and they said okay so um what books do you read and i sat there and i said the bible i'm being i don't read books i only read a few books from from my spiritual parents that i that i allow to speak into my life but i very rarely pick up a book and just read it i'm very careful with what i allow in my life and i said i don't don't really read many books i said "I, i mainly read just just the Bible, and and I mentioned my spiritual father Andrew. He'll write some books, and I'll write, I'll read those as well. Um, and he goes, "So you don't you don't read any books?" I was like, "No, just the Bible." And they say, "Well, well, you have to read books. You have to see what other people say about the Bible." And I'm just thinking, "Says who?" In my Bible, it says that all scripture has been given by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly perfect for every good work. Thoroughly furnished. In other words, the word of God is perfect to make you perfect in all things. It's all you need. And I, I said that to them, and I didn't get that response. In fact, I, got, I think she was a secretary. I don't know why she was in the meeting. <laughs> but she goes and writes on her notepad What translation is that? It was just a basic King James, New King James translation. And I said, "Oh, it's in the Bible. I said, look it up. I said, the word of God is perfect for for me to do all things that I need to do. If you can't find out how to do it in God's word, it's because you're not supposed to do it. But I can guarantee you, you can find out how to do anything in this book. You want to learn how to run a business? Read the book. Want to know how to parent? Read the book. Amen? Amen? It's perfect to make you perfect. Thoroughly furnished for all good works, not bad works. And so I told him that. I said, I said yeah, I said it's in, it's in the Bible. And so I, I believe that, and it's gotten me some good success. And long story short, we ended the interview, and we left. And I got a call from the pastor a couple days later. And I felt good about it. I was like, oh man, he's going to give me the job. It's going to be great. He calls me and goes, hey, so I I looked up your your spiritual father. And I just got to tell you, your theology is hogwash. It's detrimental to the Christian faith. And I'm thinking, so I didn't get the job? (laughs) But what had happened was, on the phone, he literally said this. On the phone, he said, "You know, we really don't like that you don't read many books." He said, "And and he said, you got to be careful with your theology." He said, "Because the last young adult pastor that we hired—that was the position I was hiring or interviewing for—the the last young adult pastor we hired—he was reading books because we told him to. He started reading books, and for I don't know how long it took, but he said." at the end of his journey with us, he didn't believe in a heaven or a hell. And I'm I'm literally scratching my head on the phone with her in the car going, and you want me to read books? It makes no sense. No sense. See, I'm not against reading books. Go ahead and read a book if you want to. Be careful with what you allow. How long will you stay open-minded? Be careful. I mean, like I said, you can read my book if you want to. But read this first. Make sure you have a good foundation of this first. And then all the other books you read should act as tools. That's it. A tool. But I'm very careful with what I read and what I allow into my my ears and into my heart. Because the way you think is the way you will go. In James chapter 1, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will, not maybe, not might, it will be given to him. If any of you need wisdom this morning, what do you do? Ask God. That's it. Go to the next verse. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You see it's very possible to have faith and doubt at the same time very possible in fact in mark uh the bible in uh, mark chapter 11 verse 23 if you can put that one up there jesus is talking to the disciples and he says for assuredly i say to you again this means i i'm telling you the truth who and jesus said the truth all the time and he's just making sure that they know this is the truth of the truth so I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. For Jesus to say, don't doubt, but only believe, means that you can doubt and believe at the same time. It is possible to have doubt and faith abiding in your heart at the exact same time And that is what James calls double-minded. Double-minded. Remember at the beginning of this, how we showed you the diagram of the spirit, soul, and body? Well, the Bible says, I believe it's in a... Where is it at? Didn't write it down. Or did I write it down? I don't know. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians. And we know all things in 1 John we have the mind of Christ and we know all things but that's in your spirit that's the spirit part of you so your natural mind doesn't know all things and it doesn't have the mind of Christ that's why some of your IQ scores are as low as your age I'm serious because your natural mind is 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 subject to the world to the natural world it doesn't understand spiritual things The Bible says that it cannot understand spiritual things. Only the spiritual things are understood by spiritual things. Well, how does that happen? Through your spiritual mind. So your spiritual mind is abiding, if I could just have an illustration of this, is your spiritual mind is abiding right here, and your natural mind is abiding right here. And the way you understand the things of the spirit is by getting your natural mind in God's word, renewing your mind and be transformed. And the more you renew, The more you get closer, the more you get closer, and the more you get closer, and soon enough your natural mind will be in the exact same position as your spiritual mind. And you will see things spiritually. And what happens then? You have two minds right here, double-minded, natural mind, spiritual mind. What happens when they come together? Single-minded. It's pretty simple. What happens when a man and a woman get married? The two become one. Marry your natural mind to the spiritual mind, and the two will become one. You become single minded. Because if you're double minded, you will not receive from God. I'm not saying that. James said that. He said it. Those who are double minded, they will not receive from the Lord. Because a double mind is unstable in all of his ways. Do you see the importance here, church? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Double-mindedness will, will, will keep you from experiencing anything that God has for you. I believe it's the biggest obstacle in the Christian life, double-mindedness. It's not a faith problem. You have all the faith in the world. You have the faith of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. It's not a faith problem. You're not receiving your miracle because, and that's not because you don't have faith, because of doubt you could have faith as big as a mountain but if you have doubt as small as a mustard seed it'll contradict it'll cancel out anything you're believing for that's why Jesus says believe and do not doubt only believe. don't doubt there's a um, a couple years ago before Stephanie and I were getting married about a week before our wedding one of our um, family friends got in a terrible accident. She was on life support. And uh, we visited her the, the, same, the same night, I believe, we found out that she got in an accident. We drove down to Fresno. And when you hear someone's in, in the Fresno hospital, it's bad. And so we drove down there and, and didn't know what to expect. And we got there, and her, whole, her entire family is there. Some friends are there, and they're around the room. And you can just tell how sad they were. What was happening? She was on life support, couldn't do anything, brain dead. And we get to the room, and it was just such a heavy room, heavy. And I remember there was a a pastor at a church that came by and they did a hospital visit, prayed over the woman. and I knew this pastor. And so after he prayed for her, the next day I overheard him talking about the experience that he had. And I heard that in his heart, he said, she's not gonna make it. But he still prayed anyways, just in case. That woman died. And and at that time, we had no position of authority to, to do anything. We weren't family. We weren't immediate relatives. We were just friends of friends that knew her really well. She was going to go to our wedding. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, man, if only I could just tell everyone to leave and pray with her. We prayed with her. Um, That's what we did. No one asked us to pray, so we had no authority to do anything. And um, I just remember sitting there thinking, man, well, that's it then. The, The person who they asked to come pray for her didn't even believe she'd make it double-mindedness just this week I heard someone else say hey can you can you please pray for so-and-so they're dying and uh, me and my family were we're already expecting the inevitable but could you please pray and in my heart I said they're dying because of what's already expected the moment you start speaking that those things, I'm already expecting the inevitable. I'm ready to bury. But just in case, let's pray for them. Double-mindedness. Either believe or don't believe. Believe or don't believe. But you can't do both because you'll be disappointed. Amen? In Mark chapter five, this is uh, an example of, of what Jesus did. In verse 38, the scripture says, then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. So Jesus was called to a house of this little girl who was dying. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and uh, he saw these people weeping and wailing loudly. I've never heard someone wail quietly. (laughs) So you can tell this is a pretty distressed situation. Weeping and wailing loudly, when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? For this child is not dead, but sleeping. Oh no, Jesus, you're in denial. That's right. You're denying reality, Jesus. This is what's happening. No, Jesus was not denying reality. He wasn't in denial. He was speaking a spiritual truth. Now, I want to teach you something today. if, If you don't get anything else out of today, just get this one thing. There is a difference between speaking natural facts and spiritual truths. The natural fact is, I feel like I'm sick. It's a natural fact. You have a stuffy nose, you have a headache, maybe a little fever, maybe you're throwing up you have a natural fact that is telling you you're feeling this way. But the spiritual truth is by his stripes, I was already healed. There's a difference. So don't get into condemnation when you speak a, a natural fact. You're just stating the fact. Hey man, my arm has been hurting lately, but I believe I can be healed. That's a spiritual fact or a spiritual truth. There's a difference between speaking natural facts and spiritual truth. It's when, the, when you get in trouble is when you start speaking natural facts as natural truths. Because then you start saying things like, I am sick. The truth is, I'm sick. Then, any natural, spiritual truth you try to confess will counteract because you already believe in what you've spoken. Amen? So when something comes along your way, it's okay to speak a natural fact. The fact is, I'm not feeling that well today, but the truth is, I can overcome this already. I have the blood of Jesus that's washed washed all over me. I'm protected by Him. He is my Almighty God, I'm under His wing, I abide in His shadow. No harm can come near me, a thousand will fall at my side, 10,000 at my other side, but no harm can come near me. You speak a spiritual truth. But don't let the natural facts tell you what the truth is. Let the Word of God tell you what the truth is. Jesus said the child's not dead she's sleeping speaking a spiritual truth there and they ridiculed him they will do that to you a few years ago um it was winter so it was really cold and i was outside uh, at a church event a long time ago and i was cold and it was really really chilly out there and the the wind was blowing and my nose started getting drippy because it was cold. And my nose, after it got drippy, I would blow it and do that. And you know, whenever you start blowing your nose, then it starts getting a little stuffy like this. So my nose got a little congested, but I wasn't—I wasn't sick. I really wasn't. It was literally just the, the cold. And one of my friends, he came up to me and he was just talking to me, and then and I got to talking back to him, and he's like, "Yeah, are you not feeling well? No, why? So you sound a little—you sound a little sick." I was like, "Oh no, just..." It's, it's stuffed up because the cold. I was like, but I'm not sick. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, you're not sick. I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm not even trying to convince you. I'm literally not sick. I'm just cold. And you'll have people who ridicule you or who think, oh, okay, yeah, sure, you never get sick. You're one of those, okay. It'll happen. So if it happened to Jesus, it'll happen to you. So they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, When he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. So what did he do? He removed the doubt. Verse 41, Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42, immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement. You see, sometimes you need to remove people from your room of your heart. Who's speaking into your life concerning what you're dealing with? Are they speaking death or they speak in life? We're during our whole pregnancy, we were very careful on who we said certain things to. We had a home birth, and people think that's crazy. That's all right. We're, we're faith people. We're already as crazy as it gets. But we were very, very careful on who we said certain things to. Because the moment you start saying certain things to people, and oh, no, I heard about this, and this happened, and you don't want this to happen to you, be careful and they get all these warning signs because they love you and they care for you and they want to protect you but they just fill your mind with doubt so sometimes you have to remove people from the room of your heart before you can believe God for the miracle in Mark chapter 11 verse 23 again he says for assuredly I say to you whoever says of the mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. See, most Christians have faith that God will do something, but that, or that God can do something, but he won't. Most people believe God will, can do something, but he won't do anything. Mm. Some people believe that God can heal them, but he won't. God has the power to deliver them, but he hasn't. In Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter uh, eight, the Bible says, Behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What was he saying? I know you can, but will you? You see, Charles Caps once said that reasonable doubt is something that you doubt because you've never had the chance to witness it. Reasonable doubt is something you doubt because you've never had the chance to witness it. You see, this leper, Jesus just stepped onto the earth. He just started performing miracles. This leper was only heard of what Jesus could do. Never seen it. It wasn't recorded in the Bible for him to read. It wasn't, he didn't read Mark, what was this, Matthew chapter 8. He didn't read Matthew chapter 7 about how Jesus healed this person. He had no clue. He knew that the Son of God could, but didn't know if he would. Because he didn't know. He had reasonable doubt. But church, let me tell you this today. There is no room for reasonable doubt Anymore. Anymore. No one can sit here and say, I've never heard of Jesus. Mm. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, let me me back that up with scripture. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Put it up. Are clearly seen. Mm. Since the beginning of the world, his visible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Amen. Every person that's alive today knows there's a God. Every person. They just haven't been told which God's the true God. There's uh, you ever been to, to Mexico and, and the Chichen Itza or the Aztec mines or, you know, or wherever the, the temples and stuff? Well... There's these, if you, if you look, there's these temples that these people would build way back in the day before the gospel was ever preached to them. And they would build these three temples. And one, one temple was bigger than the, than the other two. And they resembled a God that manifested in three parts. Every person alive knows there's a God. Every person. They just don't acknowledge him as God. They acknowledge him as something else, as a higher power, something in the celestial beings, but they don't acknowledge him as God, but they know there is a God. There is no room for reasonable doubt anymore. No room. We have the proof that God is willing right here all the time. Going back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, the next verse, it says, then Jesus, he went to the leper, he put out his hand and he touched him and he said, I Am what? Willing. willing. Right there, church, is the moment that Jesus answered that question once and for all. Never again can we ask, are you willing? But we often say it. Lord, if it is your will. If it is your will, Lord. It is. It is. It is his will if you're unsure about what his will is then find out what his will the good thing about a will is that it's written down you'll never find a will that's not written down it has to be written down so it can be executed right and here's the cool thing Jesus has made us power of attorney so he doesn't even have to be present for his will to come to pass he's with us always In our hearts always, but he doesn't have to be there for us to do something because we have power of attorney. It's given us that authority. Find out if God is willing, which he is, and believe for it. Amen? If I can have the band come back up. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, the scripture says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is what? Say it. Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen. To be carnally minded doesn't just tend towards death. It doesn't just Cause death it is death it is death in other words carnally minded equals death there's no going around that when you're when you're focusing on the carnal things on the on things of the natural things of the flesh when you're entertaining those things it is death there's no death in between and then life it's either death or life but what produces the life? Spiritually minded. Matt, how, how can I be spiritually minded? How can what does it mean to be carnally minded? What does it mean to be spiritually minded? Well, let me just give you some examples. The word mind in this scripture, to be carnally minded or to be spiritually minded, means to be mentally disposed in a certain direction, intensively to interest oneself in with concern or obedience. In other words, it's it's entertainment. Whatever you're entertaining, that's how you mind something. A great example is, is just watching TV. Watching hours and hours of TV. There is no sin in watching TV if you're not watching sinful things. not bad. You can watch TV, do all that, read books. There's no sin in that. But just know it's being carnally minded, which leads to death. Death doesn't just mean you're gonna drop dead tomorrow. Death is talking about everything that isn't from God that's from the devil. It's, It's talking about sickness, it's talking about poverty, depression, anxiety. It's talking about all those things that you might feel when you're so focused on things of the world. Because spiritually minded, it is life and peace. It equals life and peace. How do you be spiritually minded, Matt? Get your nose in this book. Entertain this book. Put on some worship music on the TV. Watch someone speak in the word on TV. Listen on your in your ears the word being spoken. Just get the word of God in your heart. That's being spiritually minded. And it produces life and peace. If you're not experiencing life and peace in your life right now, it's simply because you're not spiritually minded. It's because you're too focused on everything else in the natural world. Like our experience that we went through early in 2020. We could have been carnally minded and looked at everything that was going on all of the strife, all the chaos, all the mess, what was gonna happen in the future, and that would have led to death, depression, anxiety, worry. Or we chose to focus on the Word of God, get our word, get our nose in this book, listen to the Word as much as we can, just do whatever we could to get the Word in our hearts, which produced life and peace. We were not depressed during that time, we were not heartbroken, we were not in, in, in grief, We were joyful, not because what was happening, but because what God had done in our lives. Amen. Amen. Spiritually mindedness produces life and peace, but carnally minded produces death. When you're spiritually minded, you're aligning your natural mind with the spirit's mind. You become single-minded. You stop being double-minded because a double-minded man does not receive anything from the Lord. He's unstable in all of his ways. Thank you. Thank you. Get in the word this week. If you haven't noticed already, our website has a daily Bible reading plan. Just go to deeprooted.church and you'll see a daily Bible reading plan. That's Monday through Friday. Read the word, get in the word by yourself. It's a chapter a day, so it's not a verse. It's a chapter a day, so it should be a good portion of your reading. Get in the word, put on some worship music. Watch these live streams tomorrow morning when they're up there. Do whatever you can to get God's word into your heart because it produces life and peace, amen.